Your move, creep. Wish me luck, bruiser. You go, Glenn Coco. Dino DNA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, boy. Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh... Uh, your opinion, man. You, you think that's good? I think that's good. Okay. Let's start the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. And today we have a great episode for you guys. That's something that's really timely, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited to talk about this movie because I've never actually seen this movie, even though it's like part of one of the biggest horror franchises of all time. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to finally watch it and to talk about it. Austin, what movie are we going to be talking about this week? This week, we will be talking about 1996's Scream, directed by the one and only Wes Craven, starring David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Jamie Kennedy, and Drew Barrymore, and Skeet Ulrich. You got, you got freaking Shaggy, you've got... The Charmed, I forget which character she plays in Charmed. You got Monica, Wait, who's in, who's Monica Beller, Rose McGowan. Oh, that's right. She was. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. well, and she was one of the big people that called out Harvey Weinstein. Mm hmm. That was that's it's funny because I grew up watching Charmed, but I totally forgot about it. But I, I'm familiar with her because of Planet Terror by Robert Rodriguez. And because mm -hmm. she called out Harvey Weinstein a few years ago. Yeah. You, you got yeah. also Monica from Friends. Monica Beller. Mm hmm. Drew Barrymore, obviously. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like a like I know all of these people. Like like I I know other projects that they're in. Actually, mm -hmm. Nev Campbell. I can't think of anything off the bat uh, except for the the one with uh, with um the Rock. No, I was oh that movie. I I did not like that movie. But there was <laughs> one. There's one that she did with oh, Denise Richards. It was it was like an erotic thriller, Wild Things. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Okay, I've never yeah. seen that. It's a very interesting movie. Okay. I kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like kind of trashy, but like it's, I don't know. It's just something about it. It's like, this is all right. But that's to say that a lot of these people are recognizable now and they've gone on to have really great careers. Now, mm -hmm. I'm not really sure if they were as big when this movie came out. Like they've all kind of gone to do their own project. I know Courtney Cox was big in the 90s because of friends but i don't remember exactly when friends premiered i'm not sure if it was like 93 like i'm, I'm not familiar if friends mania was like a thing when scream came out i do know that drew barrymore was probably the biggest star that was marketed for this film drew barrymore yes. was like i mean she's a child actor she she appeared in et next to her uh or directed by her uncle steven spielberg right what that's her uncle yes yeah, Steven's or they're related like they're actually related steven oh spielberg god is her uncle or godfather or something like that i mean we could look into that but yeah true barrymore's been in the scene for a long time and she was like mm -hmm. one of the big names behind this movie right. and that was actually like a trick that yes. Wes craven would go on to use i i've never seen scream but, but you I know about that. But I know about that because 
Mm-hmm. People make it a point to talk about Scream because Scream is not just a horror franchise at this point. It's kind of like a it's got like a pin next to it. It's like Scream was one of the one of the definitive slasher films because it kind of looked into the genre itself. It had some of that meta analysis to it, you know, or some of that meta-ness <laughs> to it, right? Yeah. And, and it's it's that's kind of what sets it apart from like Halloween or Friday the thirteenth, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember someone was explaining like, yeah, Drew Barrymore, like big name actress in this movie and starting out with her, you kind of think the movie's going to go one way and it goes another. And I don't really want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it as well and don't know about it. Right. I I feel like I already kind of gave it away just by talking about it this way. (laughs) Maybe, but (laughs) But it's, it's very interesting. And I feel like it's something that like it only works when you know nothing about the movie. You're going to the theater. It's opening weekend. And then you're watching the movie. And it's like, whoa, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's something that you you can't really. It's like the the uh, the value of like not knowing what you're going to see, you know, because nowadays we'll see a trailer and we'll see, oh, OK, those are all the scenes that are going to happen in the movie. You see the, the trailer for the movie and it's like, OK, the, all those things, those all those scenes are going to happen. Or maybe some time has passed and you're you see the, the gifts or like the memes or whatever. But like sometimes like going into a movie not knowing what to expect is just something that you can only do once. And that's that's a special time, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I love going into movies knowing nothing about it. I am really curious to actually watch Scream. I so I I know more about this movie than I wish I had. I know the beginning and I kind of know the ending and I do know mm-hmm. some of the trope that tropes that it touches on from Mm -hmm. a combination of different things people have told me remember i was not into horror films for a long time so i was like i don't care just tell me how this stuff goes you know right right now that i'm getting into them like oh i wish i hadn't had it spoiled (laughs) that Mm -hmm. and i know that some of the touch points that this movie is gonna hit because of scream or uh not because of scream sorry um uh scary movie right Right. which uh, lampoons the Scream film and like some other stuff happening at the time. But Scream is like it's main right. inspiration, which is odd because I feel like Scream is is a horror movie, right? It's a slasher, but it's like you said, it's also kind of a meta comedy. Like it's it's a satire. It's also making fun of the tropes in slasher movies. And Scary Movie kind of does the same thing, except it's like way more obvious that it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. So I think some people might think of Scream as a horror movie first and only maybe. And it's like, mm, you're not really seeing the whole thing. <laughs> I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see how much of that I catch. Because, yeah. yeah, this from the surface, this looks like a scary movie. Like there are a lot of jump scares. <laughs> he is butchering people like i that beginning lets you know like this is a hard hard scary movie yeah yeah so i'm i, I don't know maybe I'm, i might be scared more more than like laughing at it i don't know mm-hmm. yeah this i so you've never seen this movie i have seen this movie because there was a period in my life when i really wanted to see all of the scary r-rated movies and this was like, all right, I'm going to watch all the screams I'm gonna watch all the nightmare before Elm streets. I'm going to watch all the Halloweens, all the Friday, the 13th. And I did not get very far. <laughs> the, the Halloween franchise took a lot out of me. I could not. But I, I went, I watched like the first nightmare before Elm Street. I watched the first Friday, the 13th. I watched the first scream and I really, really liked scream. 
I was like, this is really funny. It's kind of smart. I'm going to go in on the on the rest of the franchise. And I watched Scream 2. I thought it was really good. Scream 3, not the biggest fan of. And then some time had passed and then Scream 4 came out. And I was like, they're really going to do another Scream again? And I watched it. I'm like, yo, this is not bad. Wow, what a resurgence for Scream. And now there's like, what, five and six are out, which I haven't seen because I don't think Nev Campbell is in them. And I I don't know. I'm I'm team. I'm team Nev, Nev Campbell. She's <laughs> she's in five. She's in five. Okay. She's in five. She's not in six because she wasn't being properly compensated, which, hey, like, look, I Fair enough. I, I, look, if they're going to make a six one, you know, I, I wish the directors and all of them luck. You know, hopefully you're able to pull it off. But good on Nev, man. Good on Nev mm-hmm. to, to say, hey, like, I'm not playing, you know, and right. to be fair, to be fair, like she very much is the face of the franchise. Like, right. It's interesting. She's Sydney Prescott. Well, yeah. Like, and I've never seen any of the Scream movies, but even I know her by her name. <laughs> like, like she's very much like the Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Of this franchise. Yeah. What's her name in, in Halloween? Uh, Lori, I believe. Lori Palmer. Because it's, 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 wait, is it Laurie Palmer or am I getting confused with Twin Peaks? Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode. Strode. There it is. I did it without looking up people, okay? I'm, I I'm a horror fan. <laughs> I looked it up. I forgot. But I, I knew it was Laurie. I got it wrong the first time, but it will move on. We'll move on. But I mean, look, that's a whole different discussion for another time. But hey, good on, um, good on Nev. Yeah. If the film's good, hey, you know, good luck. You, yeah. you good job. Yeah. You guys did it, but, uh, I've heard good things about those. So I was like, ah, maybe maybe I will eventually watch them. Maybe after watching this one, I'll want to like go back and maybe for our Patreon um, Modern Grades series, we can go see the latest Scream and talk about it over there. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited to watch these movies. And I mean, I've heard a lot of positive things about Scream and I like Wes Craven. I haven't seen all of his films, but mm-hmm. I did recently watch Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the I first love one. that movie. The That's a one. phenomenal film. That movie's great. Like it scared the shit out of me, but it's also like really intriguing. I was hooked. Yeah, like watching the whole movie. I'm like how it it asked the question. It made me ask, how are you going to defeat this guy? And I was <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat. And that's such a great premise too. I mm-hmm. love that movie. I also remember watching Red Eye growing up oh which is, with uh killian murphy killian murphy and, uh, and rachel mcadams okay and it's not a horror film but that movie has always stayed with me because of how suspenseful and creepy it was and like mm-hmm. there's a point in the movie where she stabs him in the throat with a pencil oh spoilers i mean yeah I mean, ain't nobody <laughs> okay. gonna watch it's red fine. eye now or maybe i, mean, I might have Maybe me saying this now will get you to watch it, but it was like yeah, really yeah. suspenseful, mm-hmm. and that always stuck with me. I was like, "Whoa!" But like, it's not violent, like, or the mm. act is violent, but it was never like, like, ooh, like I feel like Red Eye was a PG thirteen thriller, it was. right? It was, and it was more built on around the suspense mm-hmm. of this man kind of manipulating Rachel McAdams like situation and her trying to figure out a way to get out of it. But they're in this plane, so there's really not much you can do. And this takes place in, that was a 2005 film. And I feel like people, when they see planes and stuff, they're thinking 9-11 a little bit. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a, I feel like that plays into it, right? Well, even, not even accounting for 9-11, but just being in a plane, it's like, you can't do anything. 
Like you are right. literally limited to like what's in front of you. And having <laughs> movies set in planes are really are, like they're like a like a guilty pleasure of mine. It's like I remember uh-huh. Jodie Foster's flight plan, which I <laughs> love, which people hated. But I was like, I love this movie. It's great. Everyone's gaslighting this woman into thinking that she doesn't have a child. But I saw the kid. I know he exists. Uh huh. So, um, and then also there was this HBO series, Project Greenlight on HBO, where they took like these people that had never made movies, gave them a budget, and they made movies, right? Like it was like a reality TV series about the making of movies, right? With like mm-hmm. amateur filmmakers. And in the third season, they decide to make a campy horror film. And Wes Craven's brought on to be kind of like a consultant, oh, like wow. someone to talk to the amateur director to kind of maybe give him some insight or some positive feedback or some words of wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. And Wes was such a cool guy in it. He was just saying nice and positive things, giving constructive feedback. I was like, wow, he he just seems like a really nice, pleasant man. Like, I mean, it might have just he might have just been like that. On camera, he might have been a douchebag behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but I feel like I, I've always heard that he was a nice guy, like behind the scenes as well. Maybe we could do a little bit more research on the on the second part of the podcast to see what what kind of a person he was, maybe. Because un, un, I know that he did pass away a few years ago. He did. I mean, he was an influential filmmaker. I mean, when the mm-hmm. guy met him, he's like, wow, I loved all your movies. They're fantastic. He was clearly a big fan. And if you look back, it's like, yeah, Wes Craven was like an architect for like modern horror, right? He yeah, did he's a like, lot. Like, for listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the name Wes Craven, like Wes Craven did Scream, The The Hills Have Eyes, uh, The People Under the Stairs, um, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and like George mentioned Red Eye. Uh, what else? I think those are the big ones. Well, he directed all the Scream movies up until four. Vampire in Brooklyn with Eddie Murphy, which was panned, but you know, it's it's Eddie Murphy. The Hills Have mm-hmm. Eyes, Swamp Thing, The Last House on the Left, the original 72 version, mm. which was like super violent. It crossed so many lines. Um Yeah, that that movie like the first half of that movie I really don't like. I feel like it's just so like, oh, we're just gonna show you ev- all these awful things happening to these people. And then the second half is like I wish there was more of the second half than the first part, because that 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 part's the interesting part of the movie. I think mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen a horror movie do that since. I've never seen The Last House on the Left. I do know that it deals with sexual violence. Yes, um, it's tough to say. Uh, I I can't speak on the film, but I know that it was hugely controversial, but also hugely popular. Um, mm-hmm. It was the seventies, like right off the sixties. Like there was like an era, there was like a an air of nihilism in the air of right, just all this shitty stuff happening in the U.S. Um, that film was kind of re- maybe reflexive of that, reflective of that. And then, I mean, you had the fear of the other, you had the fight for the civil rights movement, you had uh, feminism coming in. Like there's a lot of things, and these things were not met met with open arms. So it was it was a time of conflict. I, you know, to, so maybe those early mm-hmm. films kind of reflected that. I'm not too sure exactly. I've never seen the movie. But he he was influential in that film. The Last House on the Left started his jump started his career. Right. He'd go on to work on a ton of stuff. And then 
Nightmare on Elm Street was the thing that really set him on the map. It's like, this is Wes motherfucking Craven. Mm-hmm. So and he's, I think he's also experiment like, cause he is, he is like you said, an architect of horror, but he's also done scream, which is kind of like a, a reexamination of what, what a horror movie is and kind of making fun of it. But also he did um, a new nightmare, which is one of those Freddy sequels. Mm-hmm. But that also does the same thing where it kind of like deconstructs the horror movie and kind of makes fun of it. But people hated that movie because it wasn't the same as the rest of them. You know, it's not a continuation of the Freddy Krueger killing teenagers story, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I feel like that would be something interesting to go back to. But in Scream, I feel like. It, it just worked better there for one reason or another. Yeah, I'm excited to, to go back to Scream. I think it'll be a good time. I feel like I'm going to like this movie regardless. I mean, it's so well regarded. It seems like it's one of Wes Craven's like best films. I can't see myself disliking this movie. Now, will I love it as much as A, a Nightmare? Mm, who knows? That movie's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, I'm finally ready to have this one-on-one time with Ghostface, his introduction. All right. Uh, let's go back to 1996. Let's go back to the box office. George, have we ever done a film from 1996? I feel like we have. Which one? We've done a lot of episodes now. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be our 70th episode. But our I feel 70th? like we've only done 65 movies or so, because some of them were like two-parters and some of them were yeah. specials. but. 70 episodes. Wow. Uh, I don't know, actually. I feel like All we right. have. You're going to feel silly. You're gonna, I'm sorry, George. But 1996, number one at the box office was Independence Day. Oh, 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 oh why? <laughs> why did I think of that? Oh, <laughs> I am silly. Oh, silly okay. rabbit. Silly. Uh, number two, Twister. Number three, Mission Impossible. Number four, Jerry Maguire. God damn, Tom Cruise. Tommy Cruise. Two back to back. Number five was Ransom. Number six, 101 Dalmatians. I, I don't know if this was a, yeah, this was a Glenn Close live action mm-hmm, remake. Yeah. Back when the live action Disney remakes were like fun. <laughs> uh, number seven, The Rock with uh, Nicolas Cage oh, and Sean Connery. Michael Bay. Michael Bay movie, yeah. And Candyman's in that movie, too. Uh, uh, Tony Todd. (laughs) Uh, Number eight, The Nutty Professor, Eddie Murphy. Uh, Number nine, The Birdcage with Robin Williams. (gasps) Oh, that's right. And then number 10, A Time to Kill, which I believe was directed by Joel Schumacher. Yep. We we referenced in our Fan of the Opera episode. Right, right. I love that movie. I don't think I've ever seen it. It's really enjoyable it is a awesome courtroom drama uh awesome movie i loved it all right and so uh, scream came out this year and it was number 13 at the box office like that's really good yeah a horror movie 13th highest movie of the year r-rated r-rated horror movie yeah and it has a budget of 14 to 15 million and it made over a hundred million at the box office god damn that's great yeah. Also coming out this year, Eraser, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. One of those. 
The Hunchback movie, because the cartoon one. <laughs> um, Star Trek vs. Contact, and also retrograde podcast alumni, Space Jam. <gasps> Space Jam, also. Damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it's Cable Guy. What? It's John Luke Jam. <laughs> Romeo plus Juliet, which is a great, I love that movie. I've never seen it, but I really want to, because I've seen clips of it. And oh, that movie looks wild. Oh my god! It that, looks that movie insane. makes Shakespeare so much fun. So much fun. That's Baz uh, Luhrmann, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like Baz Luhrmann. Like he's a cool guy. I do guy. too. Very interesting films. It makes he makes me want to to see the uh, the Great Gatsby movie. I, I dude, I'll tell you this. Look, I do not like the book. I thought the book was boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched the movie and I really enjoyed it. And I'm like, look, for all the arguments that you can make about it, like it's not really a great adaptation or whatever. I'm like, look, you will never watch another version of The Great Gatsby quite like this. Just like you will never see an Elvis doc quite like the way mm-hmm. he did it. There's something very special and valuable about the way he makes films. Yes. Like he it- he's like like Joel Schumacher is he makes really interesting movies. But like Boz Lerman will do the same thing, but those are like like really, really good. <laughs> yeah, no, I it's funny because I went to go watch Elvis this past year. Um and I, I I'm not crazy about Elvis. I don't give a shit about him. <laughs> I mean no disrespect if you like him. I'm just he was never for me and I watched that movie. I was like, wow, <laughs> I really like that. And I remember telling Brandon, who was a was someone that we worked with uh who had yeah, his he, own podcast. He, he, Yes, Cinenation. Cinenation. You should go check him out. And I remember seeing He was on our Blues Brothers episode, too. Yeah. And that's that's one of my favorite episodes still. He was Absolutely. And I remember telling him, I was like, look, man, I did not give a shit about Elvis beforehand. But after (laughs) watching that movie, I really like him. (laughs) Uh, That's really funny. Dude, every time you say that, I think of the the Public Enemy song, Fight the Power. (laughs) How so? Because uh, there's there's that line in the song where it's like, Elvis, he didn't mean shit to me. Motherfuck him and John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of uh, how I felt beforehand. But yeah, um, but yeah this, Maybe, uh, hmm? there's just something like really cool about the way Boz Lerman does movies. So I feel like that's a movie that we definitely have to go go back to or like Moulin Rouge or something. We've, we've got to cover one of his movies. Yeah, no, no. I think uh, I think Romeo plus Juliet. Um, or Moulin Rouge, because I haven't seen either. Those would be excellent films to go back. Actually, yeah. now that I'm thinking about it, this is our first Wes Craven film. This is our first Wes Craven movie. Yes. That is really exciting. I, I mm-hmm. like going back to kind of uh, these different auteurs and seeing like their different films through through a new lens, right? Through the lens of this podcast, because I feel like it really forces us to go in and try to figure out, okay, what were they thinking? What were people at the time thinking when they watched this movie right yeah and this is Wes Craven he's kind of like in the middle of his career right because mm-hmm. he's already done his his controversial films his big franchise starter but now he's re-examining horror so this is kind of an interesting place to start with Wes Craven and he still has plenty of career after this because he directed the mm-hmm. three sequels I'm really curious to learn more about this man and to see why is he so fucked up <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if he's fucked up. He seemed like he was a, a pretty nice guy to work with. Right? Well, that's the thing, right? He he seemed pleasant in the show. People have said positive things about him. But man, you have to have something in your head to be like, all right, let's do some messed up stuff on, on yeah. film. 
Yeah, he, he kind of reminds me of David Lynch because David Lynch, he makes some movies where a lot of fucked up stuff happens. Yes. But he just seems like a sweet old man, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's very interesting. But no, I'm really excited to talk about this movie. I think this is going to be a great one. I think so, too. Um, so where can we find Scream, the 1996 film? Um, if you have Paramount Plus, you can find it there. If you have the Roku channel, you can find it there. Amazon Prime, it seems like if you have a Prime subscription, you can watch it. Let me just double check. No, you need the Paramount Plus add-in. So that's how they get you. Okay. Dude, Amazon is so sneaky. It'll say premium subscription, and you click on it. It's like, oh, not a premium subscription to Prime, a premium subscription to one of their partners. Mm. Anyway, you can also watch it on YouTube, Apple TV, Redbox, Google, uh, for a, a rental fee, but you can also watch it with ads on Pluto TV, which is an option. Like I did watch Titanic, a, like a three hour movie with the ads and it made it almost like four hours. But damn it, it was Titanic. It was great. It was a great experience. So you can watch it uh, on all of those platforms. All right. So with that, we will see you in one minute. Hello. Hello. Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. Everybody's a suspect! You're not scared, are you? Scream. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have just finished watching 1996's Scream. Right, 1996? 1996. Directed by Wes Craven. And I thought, I originally thought that the film was written by Wes Craven, but it was not. It was written by Kevin Williamson, Mm -hmm. who at the time was like a pretty fresh screenwriter. And I think a lot of the movie, you know, you got to give credit to the screenwriter because he wrote a really good script. He he did a great job. But also Wes Craven, like, damn, it's... I love this movie. (laughs) I love this movie. No, this is my first time watching it, and I loved it. I think it's awesome. This movie's fucking wild. Now, I do regret watching this movie so late because, obviously, I'd already had spoiled. Oh, man. You just went right into the spoilers. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's okay, though. Like, we warned people before. We, We told you how you can watch the movie. We... To really talk about a movie in depth the way we do, we got to get into the spoilers. Yeah. You know, 
Maybe you can bleep it out if you want, but there will be spoilers in this episode. <laughs> yeah, there, there will be a lot of spoilers. But um, but I so I I kind of so I had the beginning spoils for me, and I already knew the ending as well because I had seen like screenshots of it. You know, like you know how people like oh best horror films, best horror right. film killers and stuff like that. Like they'll kind of show faces, and I was like oh I had seen who was the the, the killer, so I had already known the beginning and end. I just didn't know a lot of the middle. Mm -hmm. And I'll say the beginning and the end are the best parts. Like they're like the middle's good, but the beginning and the end are really the juiciest parts. So I regret taking so long to watch this movie because I feel like going in blindly would have been a way better experience. But that's how you know this is a solid film because I know the beginning and I know the ending. And yet I still had a great time. I appreciated Mm -hmm. all the steps that it took. I love the subversions. I love the sense of dread and suspense that he creates, but also the comedy that he throws in. It's an overall great movie to watch. And I think it's an exemplary like horror film because for a while I said I I wasn't into horror films. I didn't like them. And it really turned around when I watched The Conjuring and I was like, oh, it kind of dawned on me like, oh, horror is supposed to be fun. Like scary movies are fun to watch. And if you get into that mindset, they become a lot more enjoyable. And like there's still that suspense and and thrills and the, the jump scares but if you can have fun with it that's when it becomes a lot more enjoyable <laughs> now obviously horror can take on a lot of different a lot of different attributes like some are just pure dreadful no comedy just depressing and some that are a bit more lighthearted. but like i i really like these kinds of horror films that are like self-aware but they're still suspenseful they're still violent but you have fun watching it it's like getting on a roller coaster it's like you walk out. You're you're scared before you hop on, and then afterwards you're like, "I want to go on it again." Yeah, I. This is, you know, like watching movies takes a long time. I I watched this movie twice in in preparation for the podcast. Really, that's so much fun. This movie is. Yeah, it's great and it's very well written. And I I like what you said that this was written by Kevin Williamson and give him giving him credit for putting a great script together and i think it's just i think it's very appropriate because right now the writers guild of america are there's hints that a strike is gonna come up a writer's strike Mm -hmm. it's been kind of brewing for a few months and um charlie kaufman who wrote who's written some incredible movies including eternal sunshine of the spotless mind which is one of my favorite films as well on march 5th of this month of this of this year he went up to the writers guild of america's award uh, where he was given a top honor honorary film award, and his speech is incredible. Uh, he is kind of talking about how executives view writers and kind of how writers have been shit on, and how the bottom line matters more than having something that is successful be better than something that is honest. And he ends the speech with saying, "The world is a mess. The world is beautiful. The world is impossibly complicated." And we have the opportunity to explore that. If we give that up for the carrot, then we might as well be the executives, the et ceteras, because we have become their minions. I have dropped the ball, wasted years seeking the approval of people with money. Don't get trapped in their world of box office numbers. You don't work for them. You don't work for the world of box office numbers. You work for the world. Don't worry about how to pitch. Don't pitch. Be nervous. 
be vulnerable. Just make your story honest and tell it. They've tricked us into thinking we can't do it without them, but the truth is they cannot do anything of value without us. And this was this month. This was like seven days ago that he said this. Uh, seven days ago as of recording on March 5th. I recommend anyone to go watch the, the speech because it's incredible. And I think that's one of Screen's, Scream's biggest positive. It's the story that it's telling, right? Williamson went out of his way to make something that was really great, that paid homage to the films that he liked watching as a child, but also kind of innovating it and telling it for a modern contemporary audience, which absolutely hit and resonated. And that's why we're still talking about this movie over 20 years later. I do think that this movie, like you can, every, every part of it, every part that like comes into play when making a movie, right? Like you have to have the, the writer, the, the actors, the director, the cinematographer, the, the music, the editing, like all like the, the pieces, the, the things that people did in on their own to, to collaborate to make this movie is what makes the movie so good because everybody did a good job. You know, every single department pulled through. And it, they did make it for a contemporary audience, but like that was 1996. But there's still stuff that they talk about in this movie that is still relevant today. It holds up so well. And the foundation that they built the first movie on is so good that, I mean, we still have six one six. We're on our six one, you know, Scream 6 opened up this weekend and it's getting great reviews. Like most of these Scream movies have been well received, you know, except for the third one. But that, which, yeah, they didn't. I don't think that the writer who works on this one and the second one and the fourth one and was executive producer on the fifth one. I don't think that they brought him back for part three no he wasn't and well but remember that was that's something that we were talking about the original script for three was very different than the one they actually had Mm -hmm. uh the third one kind of revolved around teaching people kind of teaching people how to kill people right Mm -hmm. but remembering that columbine happened a little bit beforehand and some of the problems that they went through in making this movie it makes sense Mm -hmm. why they pivoted i i can understand it a little bit better but we'll get into that yeah yeah um, but yeah, I mean, personally for me, if you haven't seen Scream, I recommend it. Definitely go watch it. Help buy the fucking movie. It's it's great. Like it's this oh, is yeah. going to be a timeless classic. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I loved it. And I bought the um, I bought the Scream Steelbook because I want it. I bought the first two. <laughs> I, I haven't even seen the <laughs> second haven't... one, but I'm like, I'm already in it. Like yeah, I love the second this. one's really good, too. It's the third one that's like, oh, man, what happened here? And look, it's man, like, every franchise everybody back, isn't you know? always going to be 100%. We forgive Star Wars and how many Star Wars is batting average is not good. <laughs> so if anything, Scream has a better batting average. But yeah, so it, I think it sounds like both of us love it and recommend it. Yes. Cool. So yes. yeah, let's get into the story of, of the movie. Okay, so this is, you know, spoiler warnings. We're going to talk about the story real quick. So you have the context for the conversation that we're about to have. Uh, The movie starts with Drew Barrymore playing Casey Becker. She's home alone and she gets a phone call. She's like, hello? And the guy's like, who is this? And then she's like, well, who are you? Uh, Wrong number. And then caller comes back and they kind of have a flirty conversation. He says... Do you like scary movies? Which is the iconic line from Scream. And the conversation turns 
threatening. Like, don't you hang up on me. I can see you. And she's like, what the hell? She's she's like, well, my boyfriend's going to be here. And then he's like, oh, is your boyfriend's name Steve? Turn on the patio light. And then she sees Steve tied up. And she's like, oh, my God, what do you want? He's like, I want to play a game. I want you to guess, answer my horror movie trivia. Who was the killer in Friday the 13th? And she's like, Jason. He's like, nope, that's wrong. She's like, what the hell? It's Jason. He's got the hockey mask. What are you talking about? And he's like, nope. In the first movie, it was Jason's mother. And she's like, well, that's a trick question. And he's like, too bad. And he kills, like slices her boyfriend's stomach open so that his intestines fall out. And he's like, well, now time for the bonus round. And he breaks into her house and he chases her around. Um, she manages to hide from him and then she sees her parents are coming but he like chases her and he actually stabs her in slow motion and then kind of stabs her in the neck and she manages to get away again but she can't scream because she's just a wound in her neck and then he ends up uh hanging her from a tree disemboweling her but her she's still on the phone so when their parents see the house in disarray they're like oh call call the cops but they hear their daughter dying on the phone and then the mother sees drew barrymore hanging from a tree disemboweled and she's like ah! and then we go <laughs> it goes to sydney who's played by nev campbell sydney prescott is our main character her boyfriend he like sneaks in through the window he's like hey i want to see him she's like well you scared me my dad's in the other room the dad comes by and he's like i thought i heard screaming and she's like, nope. And he says he's going to be out of town on business. You know where to reach me. Bye-bye. And then her boyfriend is like, well, that was a close call. I want to have sex. She's like, well, I don't want to have sex, but we can do over-the-clothes stuff. And then we go to school. She runs into her friend, who's uh, Tatum Riley. He's played by Rose McGowan. She talks about how her, their classmate was, like, killed horrifically. It was the worst murder since, and then she doesn't say, is setting up some uh, something to do with Sydney later on. Principal is played by Henry Winkler, and he's like the really concerned principal, but he's kind of a dick. They get pulled in and talked about the murders, like why was she murdered? They don't know who the murderer is. Uh, there's like news reporters like reporting outside of the school. There's a scene where you have all the friends together. You have uh, Sydney and her boyfriend Billy. And you have her friend Tatum and her boyfriend, Stu, played by Matthew Lillard, who's really funny in this movie, too. Then you have Randy, who's played by Jamie Kennedy, who's just like a movie geek. Like everything he says is like a reference to some other horror movie. And they like kind of joke about the murder. They're kind of insensitive about this poor girl being murdered. And Sydney's like, I don't like this. I'm going to go home. And then she goes home. She calls Tatum and she's, she's like, hey, can you come over because like I'm scared of being alone and she's like yeah I'll come by after after seven right after practice and she's like watching the news and she sees all the news reports about how this murder is the most horrific murder since and the reveal is Sydney's mother was brutally raped and murdered a year ago and there's this particular reporter Gail Weathers who's played by Courtney Cox from Friends she's Monica from Friends uh, Gail talks about her mother's death Sydney wakes up and Tatum isn't there. So she's like, well, Tatum, what, what the hell? Where are you? And she's like, uh, practice ran late and I'm going to go pick up a movie. She hangs up and then another call happens and it's the killer again. But Sydney doesn't know that it's the killer. She just thinks it's Randy because 
Ghostface, he keeps making movie references. Like, oh, what's your favorite scary movie? And she's like, I hate scary movies. They're all the same. They're predictable. And then the call turns uh, creepy. And she still thinks it's kind of, it's Randy. So she's like taunting the killer. Like, if you can see me, what am I doing? She's picking her nose. And then the killer pops out of the closet. And she's like, oh my God. She chases her around the house. She runs up up the stairs and blocks the door and calls 911 with her computer. The killer like disappears. And then all of a sudden, Billy appears at the window very suspiciously. She, she's like, oh my God, the killer was here. And he's like, what? The killer was here? And then a cell phone falls out of his pocket. And this is 96. And I don't think cell phones are very popular. So she's like, oh my God, it was you. And she runs away from him and opens the door. And then there's the ghost face mask held by Dewey, who's the deputy and also Tatum's older brother. So then it goes to the police station and she's like, well, I'm pretty sure it was Billy because he was there. He had the cell phone and they they hold Billy in for questioning. They're, they're looking for Sydney's dad, but they can't find him. Sydney sleeps over at Tatum's house after punching out the reporter because the reporter was making a book about her mother's murder. So she does. That's why she doesn't like Gail. So she punches Gail, sleeps over at Tatum's, but then she gets called by the killer. So she's like, oh, it can't be Billy because he's in jail. So I, maybe Billy's innocent. Maybe I pointed at an innocent person. They're still doing school. She goes back to school the next day, runs into the reporter, and she kind of talks to her. Doesn't really apologize for punching her in the face. But we find out that Gail thinks that Sydney reported like the wrong killer when her mother was killed. And an innocent man is about to be put on death row. Uh, so she's having doubts about who the killer really is. Maybe her mother's killer is the killer that's out and about right now. There's a, the kids are very insensitive at the school. The, the costume they find in the store and they just start wearing it around um, class. So the principal's like, all right, well, I got to send all the kids home because these kids are crazy. They're pretending to be the killer. Uh, he confiscates a mask and he like lectures these two kids. The main kids, they're like, all right, let's have a party. <laughs> So they they invite everybody over to, to have this big party. The principal gets killed. And at the party, the reporter, she shows up because she wants like the inside scoop. The kids are having their party. Randy's kind of like talking about scary movies and stuff. Tatum goes to go get beer. But then the killer like ambushes her in the garage. She tries to escape. But she ends up getting caught in like this doggy door that's attached to the garage. And then the killer opens the garage and like her neck gets caught in the door and it, her head gets crushed. The, the kids find out that their principal has been murdered. So they all leave. Billy shows up at the party. Sydney feels pressured that, you know, she's been a bad girlfriend because she doesn't have sex with this guy. And he's been so patient for a year. So they go up and have sex. Dewey. He takes Gail out on a walk because she wants the inside scoop. And he thinks that it could be the dad. And then there's a mysterious car in the at the party that they're going to go inspect. After Billy and uh, Sydney are done having sex, they talk about the phone call that he had. Right. Because when you go to jail, right, you get a phone call. So she's like, who did you call? And he's like, I called my dad. And she's like, wait a minute. The sheriff called your dad. I saw him. Who did you call? And he's like, what do I have to do to prove to you that I'm not the killer? And then the killer 
opens the door and stabs him. So she's like, oh, fuck, <laughs> it's not him either. So she runs away from the killer reporter. She gets scared and she like crashes her car. And so she's like left for dead. Uh, her cameraman gets killed. Dewey, he, he sees that the dad's car is there. So he gets he like looks for the killer in the house, but he gets stabbed. So we're thinking it's just Sydney left. But then Billy, he's still alive. He like stumbles down the stairs and he's like, uh, Sydney, give me the give me the deputy's gun. I'll help you. She's like, OK, here, you take this responsibility. This is too much for me. You just watch a bunch of people die right in front of me. <laughs> he takes the gun, opens the door and he lets Randy in. And Randy's like, dude, thanks for letting me in. It's Stu. He went psycho. He's he's gone mad. And then Billy turns to to Randy and says, we all go a little mad sometimes. So it's like, ah, oh, fuck, it was this guy all along. And he shoots Randy. He explains to Sydney what his plan was. And then Stu comes in and he was in on it too. They were There were two killers. The whole time we thought there was only one, but there was two of them. And they ended up kidnapping the dad and set up his phone to make him look like the killer. Halfway, like maybe there's no motive. Maybe this guy's just an incel. He wanted to kill his mom for having sex with his dad. And it broke up his parents' marriage. And now Sydney won't have sex with him. It's a it's a weird incel thing. <laughs> and uh, set up the dad as the murderer and kill Sydney. But then the gun is missing. And the reporter grabbed the gun, but the safety's on. So he's like, ha, you idiot. It works better with the safety off. And he knocks her out, leaves her for dead again. And then Sydney's missing. And the killers, uh, Stu and Billy, had stabbed each other to make it look like they were the victims left for dead. So they're like slow, they're bleeding out. Billy's looking around for, for Sydney because she's now she's missing and she's using the phone trick and using the voice changer thing to like fuck with them. She ends up hiding in a closet and stabs uh, Billy when he's distracted. And then she has a fight with Stu and ends up dropping a TV on him, killing him. And then Billy, he like gets back up from his stab and he tries to kill Sydney. But then Gail, who was left for dead a second time, gets up again and shoots Billy. And then Jamie Kennedy was wasn't really dead either. But he's he gets up and they all look at Billy's body and they're like, this is the part where the killer gets up for one last scare. And then he he like coughs and like looks up and Sydney shoots him in the head. <laughs> and she says, not in my movie. And then the dad who's who's been tied up and kidnapped, he like stumbles out of the closet for like the actual last scare. Uh, and then that's the end of the movie. We see that Billy Dewey, the deputy, survived. And Gail, she does like a whole news report thing at sunset saying that these events seem like they are right out of a scary movie. And that's the end of the movie. I think we could start talking about the things that we don't like. And the only reason being... Things that we don't like. Okay. Because I think that okay. list is a lot shorter. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot shorter. It's very short. And I think we're just going to get lost in talking about all the things we do like. And there's a lot of things that we do like that we mm -hmm. want to break down. One of the biggest ones being that we never get to see Dewey kind of acknowledge Tatum's death, right? Mm -hmm. They're brother and sister. They have like this funny back and forth where Dewey's She's like... She's kind of mean to him. Oh, she She's very much kind is. Of, she is mean to she him. She is mean to him. I'm willing to let it go because... Their brother and sister, right? Mm -hmm. And Dewey, for as nice as he is, he is kind of a punching bag. 
<laughs> there is like a niceness to him and a softness, which I think works very well for the movie. That being said, when you're that nice, people will tend tend to see you as a punching bag, especially mm-hmm. siblings. He's a deputy. He's a police officer, right? And he knows that the killer is out there and they suspect the dad. And the dad is probably going to try to come and kill Sydney. But he's so starstruck by Gail being around because Gail is like a big deal in this town. She's an She's like an influencer, you know, <laughs> she's like a news reporter, but like she's famous and mm-hmm. she's on TV. So she, they're kind of starstruck around her. And she kind of knows that she she kind of plays Dewey um, to get more information out of the whole investigation and everything. But he shows up to the party with her. But like, you know, that Sydney doesn't like this woman. It's it's like, yeah, he's a nice, nice guy. He's kind of dumb, but he's not like. It's it's like frustrating, but like it is kind of he's starstruck, so I get it. She is playing him, but you mm-hmm. can tell that there's she's kind of acclimating to him a little bit more, uh, especially yeah. like when they're walking down the street. And is it insensitive to kind of bring Gail next to Sydney? Potentially, yes. yes. <laughs> um, but it's more dumb than anything. Like it doesn't upset yeah. me. You know what I mean? Like it's it's more of like, well, you should have known better, but. Yeah, so like the, it doesn't seem to really mean, bother Sydney at that point. I think Sydney's it, more concerned. It does bother Sydney. It bugs it bugs her, but she's she's more preoccupied about Billy. Yeah, she's got a lot of things going on. Exactly, and- like the Sydney and Gail don't kind of necessarily make up, but there is like um there is like a moment where they're looking at each other, and it's like I think you might be on to something. Where even even yeah. Sydney admits that she's starting to have doubts about who really killed her mother. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying do we calculated that or anything. It it just eh. he's he's dumb, right? Yes. He's nice and he's dumb. But like I feel like Tatum, like being so mean to him, is is like okay. Well, he his dumbness is kind of insensitive, and it's like she's the one that's like, why did you bring her here? Tatum's being excessively mean to Dewey, uh, but Dewey does bring it on himself a little bit. And, yeah. and that's what I'm talking and, about. Like, there is that funny relationship between them, right? Mm-hmm. Where you kind of understand where the other person's coming in. So, but then Stu, uh, uh, Dewey going in, I felt like we needed a scene where he kind of sees Tatum dying or at least hears about her death. Because, I mean, you, you, you went out of your way to establish that both of these characters are related and you have scenes where they interact. It just seems like something that was omitted just because they were caught up in worrying about Sydney. But I was like, eh, you... Could have, you could have done something here. You, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. Dewey goes into the house and I don't know. It just felt like a weird thing. It felt like some, you'd want to see the brother react to his sister being dead. Yeah. And it's not something that would have made the film a lot better. But it just feels weird that it was missing. I know what you mean. I think it would have been weird tonally. Because it kind of would. That whole ending part is like really fun. Even when Dewey gets stabbed. It's like you're not like, oh man, Dewey. It's just kind of like, oh, sh-. it's like, oh, no, shit, no, no, no. I think it would have fit. Okay. I think it would have fit. Per- I think it would have been fine because the whole ending isn't it's not just comedy. Like, it's still suspenseful. And look, I'm not saying you need to have Dewey crying and be like, why? <laughs> what? Oh, you know, I'm not saying. Yeah, gotta- maybe he can see the body and then that's what gets him stabbed. Like in that moment, I- they could have played around with it because I do like mm-hmm. Dewey walking out of the house and he's like, hey, Sid. And he f- like, you know, stumbles and then you see the knife. That's a cool reveal. And maybe he doesn't find her body or I just felt like it was like a strange thing. And 
something that kind of was grading me a little bit was how many people reference scary movies. I don't know how people, how <laughs> teens spoke in the 90s, but it just seems like all these, all these kids were cinephiles. And I was like, okay, like, I get what you're doing. You don't have to hit me that hard over the head. Like, you, you know what I, I mean? Like, I was like... All these references with movies and movies. I, like, I get I get Randy mm-hmm. doing it because that's his shtick, right? Like, he loves mm-hmm. horror movies. He works at a video rental store. I get it. Cool. But, like, Tatum just bringing in random, like, movie references and being and Billy just being so obsessed with it. And, like, Sydney being like, I don't like horror movies because they're all the same. It's just like, okay. Like, you're beating me over the head with it. Which, maybe in 96, it hit harder. But in 2023, it just hasn't, that particular aspect just hasn't aged well. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. The script, it feels like it was written by someone who loves movies. And every character in their movie loves movies. And I'm like... Like Tarantino. Yeah, kind of. But the thing, I think the thing with Tarantino is like, he'll always have that character that is obsessed with movies. But it's not every character, you know? It's not like at the it's not like in Pulp Fiction they're talking about, man, that movie. It, it, I, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's just one aspect that hasn't aged well when everybody's throwing out movie references. And it's like, okay, I get it. You love movies, bro. It's like, this is what a movie person does. Everybody in their movie yes, loves movies. This is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> That's, what I, it's, it, is it that too? That like, oh, this is me. Oh, I hate this. Do no, this no, is- no. <laughs> I don't I don't mind it because I'm very much like Randy and I don't mind Randy. But it's just when every character does it, it just makes it Okay. All right. It's like you're hit, you're hitting me over the head with the fact that we're a movie that we're a scary movie that knows that about scary movies. It's like, "All right, I got it the first few times. I don't need it constantly be over the head with it mm-hmm. with the di- in the dialogue." I see. I think that is something that is very 96 was like a new thing, but now a lot of movies do that a lot of movies are like meta and referential and i don't think that they put in the same like thought as something like scream or even something like shrek right because shrek does that a lot too i think movies when they do it now like something like deadpool i feel like it's a lot more annoying now so that when we go back and see these older movies that were like really innovative when they did it it's kind of annoying i was three years old when this movie came out so i can't speak about how people reacted to it at the time and maybe and a person that was a teen when they saw it like oh no that's totally accurate that's exactly how it was okay but here's what i'll say because scream was so big it's been very influential people have done the whole meta thing now more than ever what's getting to me is in shrek them having a matrix reference did not upset me and i laughed but when a Space Jam, a new legacy did it, where they have an entire scene where the grandma is basically <laughs> Trinity, that upset me. And I think that's the difference, right? Has, has been how many people have been doing it since Scream mm-hmm. and Shrek. Like, these references aren't as funny anymore. They've, they've become a little mm-hmm. grating. So that's, maybe it's not even so much on the movie. Maybe it's just us where we're at culturally with movies. But mm-hmm. it's something that has not aged well because of the circumstances okay so it might not even really be the movie's fault it might just be where i met with yeah with that style with that meta yeah it can be hit or miss and i i it's 
interesting how people will complain about like the Velma show being so meta, but it's like, why do you like it when this other thing does it, but not when this show does it? At least in 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 Scream, they're all referencing scary movies, yeah. and they're all like, okay, so it makes sense that you're referencing that. In Shrek, it's like, okay, they're all fairy tales, so okay, it's fine. And to be fair, and I, I want to be fair, because this complaint that I have with all the characters being this referential, it, it was innovative at the time. People clearly responded to it, and people thought it was what separated Scream from Friday the 13th, from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, from Halloween. So this is just a personal take. It might not even be something that's actually the fault of the movie. You know, this is just something that I'm like, in 2023, it just hasn't aged that well. But, you know, I, again, though, we are literally finding things that we don't like. Mm. And honestly, that's about it for me. I think everything else <laughs> I liked. <laughs> like, I I honestly, okay. I'm looking at the rest of the movie. I'm like, yeah, no, I got no problems. Like, even okay. some of the things that I'm like, well, that's a random thing. Uh, Henry Winkler's death. It does come out of nowhere. There's a reason for that. And maybe we'll get into it during the making of. Yeah. His death really doesn't add much to the story. Like it. Not really. A little bit. Except for at the very end when all the kids are like, oh my God, the principal's dead. Let's go and see before they cut him down. (laughs) From a writing perspective, that's how he, the writer got himself out of that jam. It's like, how do I get everyone out of the house? Right. So we could start killing the core characters. Mm-hmm. Um, which it works from that perspective, but if I'm like Billy or Stu, it's like, why are we gonna kill the principal? Like, I could understand yeah. killing Casey because it's like, all right, you need like a warm up kill. Like, and you... also, it was Stu's ex girlfriend. Yeah. So it's, there's a connection there. Exactly. There's no connection between these guys and the principal. I like the way that that scene is is done, but I don't. There's something about it that just feels kind of random. Like, why are we killing the principal other than in like, the school? It's, it's funny in daylight in the school where you could get caught. Yeah, was it? It's it just feels weird, but you know, it's it's like a weird thing that kind of sticks out. And there's there's also like the way, uh, Rose McGowan is when she opens the the garage door, you like see her nipples through her shirt. <laughs> it's kind of like, why? This is the only shot that does this, and in throughout the movie, they kind of like reference how these horror movies will be really gratuitous in how it shows women. Mm-hmm. But then you're you're doing it here for like no reason. <laughs> yeah, I think the the closest I could say to it is Tatum's death plays very much like how a regular scary movie would kill someone like her, right? Mm-hmm. And so it kind of indulges in that gratuitous in that gratuity from from those earlier films where like her nipples will show through her shirt. The only thing is this girl doesn't isn't particularly scared. Because she's so self-aware. It's it, this is where the meta. This is where you could go like down the meta rabbit hole and just be like, but see, she knows that she's not in, or she thinks she's not in the horror movie, but she knows about horror movies. But the filmmakers are trying to indulge in that, and they're trying to create a weird. It's like I don't. You could go into it. There was something about it in the '90s and early 2000s. Like there was a there was a sex appeal to it, right? Like there, like mm-hmm. I mean, there is a sex appeal to horror films. Right. I mean, even Stu of says course. it. I want to see yes. Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs. Like that is something that I could see a lot of people saying. Like, when's the sex coming in? When are they going to show their boobs? There is a sex appeal to it, and the film does indulge in that. Um, I think now in 2020 and in the 2010s, we've become aware of that 
we've become way more aware of it and we've kind of seen it as like a crutch kind of uh like uh like a bit sexist and i think especially post me too i don't think a lot of horror films are really going to indulge in that or if they are Mm -hmm. it's going to be done with a bit more intention right because if i'm an executive in the 90s and it's like all right fuck just why not like she's hot why not sex sells it is it is the like the only shot where you see that yeah they're they're not like it's not even that the film is inherently sexual like yeah sydney has sex with billy but like it's off camera and like it's not like they're filming it to to show off how hot nev campbell is yeah it's like a character moment Yeah, yeah she's a virgin she's about to have sex it's never done gratuitously and like the moment she does flash billy we don't get to see it when she removes her blouse or her shirt, when she's about to sleep with Billy, the camera kind of positions itself so Billy's elbow or shoulder is blocking her chest. It does seem kind of weird to have Rose McGowan in that position, but it's like, well, you can't you can't land everything perfectly. And I'll tell you this, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure there's nothing like that in the new sc- Scream movies. because Yeah, we- I don't think that they would do that. Like, I think if... If they did it and then like, oh, she's like, oh, man, what the hell? <laughs> or she like acknowledged it, then it would be like funnier. But I don't know. It just it just feels a little weird. And, you know, it is a Miramax film and, you know, the Weinsteins are involved and you yeah. know her history with them. It's like, ugh. it's just like a it's a weird thing exactly. that I don't like. And that's why and that's why I think we've become so aware of it. Right. Because especially post Me Too. Rose McGowan was on the ground floor of the Me Too movement, Mm -hmm. calling Harvey Weinstein out. They have this shared history. It's like, it makes sense why this stuff just isn't being as indulged in today. Like, again, I haven't seen Scream 5 or 6, but I guarantee you there's no real sense of that, of like a character's sexuality being so pervasive. Uh, Or not not that, like being, being so cheeky when it comes to nudity on screen, right? I can't imagine they would do that to Jenny Ortega. Like, no, no. Way. oh god no, no. so but, I, I don't know i haven't seen those two movies so we'll see it is like a weird thing that has also not aged well but i think it's something that the industry as a whole is shifting away from and i i do think that the writer and Wes craven were kind of trying to pivot away from misogyny in horror films at least from the the commentary and i think Wes Craven himself was trying to get away from horror movies because they were too violent. (laughs) Well, they were very violent, misogynistic, and he was so entrenched in that horror genre. Yeah, they had to, like, convince him to come back. Yeah, I mean... More on that towards the end, I think. Yeah. Eli Roth put it very, very plainly. He's like, Wes Craven was big in horror in the 70s with Last House on the left. He also did The Hills Have Eyes. In the 80s, he was big because of Nightmare on Elm Street. So this has been following him for decades. Mm-hmm. And in the 90s, that's where he really started, you know, 20 years later, he was like really thinking about his place in the genre in the industry. And so I can't blame him for that. Yeah. But I mean, outside of yeah, outside of those two things, like, e- and even look, and I don't, the Henry Winkler death is random, but it doesn't bug me. Um, it, because like, it's the way it's filmed is done so well. Yeah, and he's right. so crazy, too. <laughs> he is, like, the movie, like, we know who the killers are, right? Like, like mm-hmm. I knew who the killer was watching it again. But even knowing that and watching, like, all the ways they, like, hint at you, it recontextualizes some scenes with those two characters, with Billy and Stu. And I see all, like, the little misdirections. Mm-hmm. They're really, it's really fun. This is a movie that you can watch 
there's there's so much detail put into every scene when when um sydney gets the phone call and it's the killer but billy's in jail so she's like oh my god leave me alone what's happening she's in tatum's house dewey lives there dewey's the deputy the the mom she goes over to dewey's door and she's knocking on she's like hey dewey dewey there you need to come out there's the killer's calling sydney he doesn't open the door until the killer hangs up if you're watching the movie for the first time maybe dewey is the killer i'll send you a copy bam sid super bitch you are so cool thought you might want some ice for that right hook Thanks. I'll be right next door. Try to get some sleep. Yeah, yeah. Do you really think Billy did it? He was there, Tatum. He was destined to have a flaw. I knew he was too perfect. Telephone, honey. Who is it? For Sid. My dad? I don't think so. Take a message. No. Oh, okay. How's she doing? Hello? Hello, Sydney. No! Poor Billy boyfriend. An innocent guy doesn't stand a chance with you. Leave me alone! Looks like you fingered the wrong guy. Wait. Again. Who are you? Oh, soon enough I promise what 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 right that is an interesting fact scary movie the actual scary movie kind of picked up on that a little bit because remember at the yeah. end the reveal of Dewey or doofy you know mm-hmm. they're like I I think what you're saying is really good like they do kind of use misdirection to kind of make you think anybody could be the killer right the killer is making all those movie references and we know randy's the the horror movie guy like rose mcgowan's character will make movie references but they're not horror movies she wants to watch this tom cruise movie because for a second you can see his penis or something Mm -hmm. and she makes the like the richard gear gerbil joke but like those aren't those aren't horror movies Mm -hmm. those are just movies Randy's a horror movie aficionado. And it's funny that they both Sydney and Tatum think Ghostface is Randy playing a joke. Mm-hmm. So you, you think, oh, it could be Randy. Could be that guy. Yeah. It would make sense. They're clearly trying to misdirect you. And there's that one scene. It doesn't really make sense, but it kind of does hint at the potential misdirection that people went through. It's at uh, it's outside of Stu's house where Stu and Randy are there trying to convince Sydney like, hey, it's not me, it's this person and it's this person. And Sydney's mm-hmm. just so overwhelmed. She's like, <laughs> she closes the door. Even though we know it can't be Randy at that point because the killer was literally about to kill Randy when he's while yeah. he's watching Halloween. But still, like the movie's still going out of his way to like get, present any possible solution. And that's what I think it works. It's like it does present the solution that it's Billy and Stu and it explains a lot. You know, it was a twist ending because people really weren't expecting two killers. And then it's like, oh, this explains all the other scenarios like, oh, so it was Stu that was hunting Sydney at her house and Billy was just waiting outside. You know, like it worked out really well. The movie does a really good job of throwing you off. And I think if you already know the ending, 
you can kind of appreciate its attempts at throwing you off, I mm -hmm. think. Like if you deconstruct it, like, because I think some people focus too hard on the ending where it's like, oh, I know, I know what happens, predictable. But like you're not really appreciating the craft. You know what I mean? Yeah, even if you know how a movie ends, you can still appreciate how you get there. And even if you're watching a film for the first time, you're like, oh, this is way too predictable. It's like, well, just, you know, enjoy the ride, see it, how it gets there. You know, maybe you can predict it, maybe you can't. But what I think made Scream so cool was that I don't think people really predicted it. Because at least right. to my knowledge, That's... there weren't too many movies that had double killers. I could be wrong. Maybe there are, but they weren't as popular as Scream. Right. This movie, I don't think any of this, those big slasher movies had two killers. Yeah, like the Halloween, the you know Friday the Thirteenth, the Nightmare on Elm Street. Those were the big ones, and this was another. This was positioned to be another big slasher film. Right. It had a big mm -hmm. cast. It had a great cast. It was constantly messing with your expectations. Right. I mean, we talked about it before. Drew Barrymore. She was promoted. She was marketed. She's on the poster, right? She's front She's and center. She's the biggest person on the poster. Bigger than Nev Campbell and bigger She's than Billy. She's the biggest star in the poster. Yeah. Because at the time, like, Courtney Cox wasn't a huge star. She was on Friends, which was, I think, during its maybe second or third, fourth season. Uh, but, you know, TV stars weren't movie stars at that point as much, you no. know? Nev Campbell was in The Craft, I think, and uh, something called Party of Five. That was a TV like not, show, yeah. Yeah, not a, not no huge stars, mm -hmm. except for Drew Barrymore. So when you're watching this movie, if you know nothing about it, you think, oh, Drew Barrymore, she's the main character. And then you, you kill her in the very beginning, like gratuitously, like Bad horrible death. She yeah. gets stabbed in slow motion. She got stabbed multiple times. And then when you see her multiple hanging times. from the tree, her body is just mangled. You're like, holy shit. This movie, I mean, look, you could talk about, you could pride yourself on being someone who could predict movies. But I doubt people were predicting how this movie was going to play out. I don't think anybody went in thinking, Drew Barrymore is going to die in the first 13 minutes of the film. No. And I think the whole time you're, people were trying to guess, all right, well, who's the killer? And it comes up at the end. And it's funny, too, because... <laughs> This movie constantly messes with your expectations and it missed, it gives you so many misdirections and it works wonderfully because the whole time you're watching Billy, it's like this dude's fucking sketchy. Even from his first scene, <laughs> this whole this the, first, the scene. first scene, this dude's just like talking about the exorcist. So he's already a movie fan, right? Like we know, oh, he's familiar with well, he movies. He was watching the exorcist and it got me thinking about you. Yeah, what? but he's already making <laughs> references to horror films, which the scene prior, we already know that the killer loves horror movies. And he's mm -hmm. being, he's acting hella sketchy. Sneaking in through her window like he didn't call her. He's mad horny. So, mm -hmm. you know, you know, a mad horny dude ain't up to no good. And yet the movie makes the case like, oh, it can't be Billy. It couldn't have been Billy because he was in jail. Oh, it was a misunderstanding. It wasn't him. He had a cell phone, but he didn't call you. And then, but I love it because even Randy's like, that dude's a killer. Like, fucking Leatherface. <laughs> if you were the only suspect in a senseless bloodbath, would you be standing in the horror section? Well, it was just a misunderstanding. Yeah, he didn't do anything. You're such a little lapdog. He's got killer printed all over his forehead. Okay. Really? Why'd the cops let him go, smart guy? Because obviously they don't watch enough movies. This is standard horror movie stuff. Prom night revisited, man. Yeah? 
Why would he want to kill his own girlfriend? There's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. That's the beauty of it all. Simplicity. Besides, if it gets too complicated, you lose your target audience. Well, what's his reason? Maybe Sydney wouldn't have sex with him. <laughs> what, is she saving herself for you? Maybe. Now that Billy tried to mutilate her, do you think Sid would go out with me? <laughs> no, I don't at all. No. See, the police are always off track with this shit. If they'd watch prom night, they'd save time. There's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. I'm telling you, the dad's a red herring. It's Billy. How do we know you're not the killer? Huh? Huh? Hi, Billy. Maybe your movie-freaked mind lost its reality button. You ever think of that? You're absolutely right. I'm the first to admit it. If this were a scary movie, I'd be the prime suspect. That's right. And what would be your motive? It's the millennium. Motives are incidental. Millennium? Hmm. Millennium, I like that. That's good. It's the millennium. Good kid. Millennium. Good word, my man. Are you telling me that's not a killer? <laughs> and at the end, it's like, what What do I have to do to make you believe me? And that's when Ghostface goes in and stabs him. So the movie uh -huh. constantly is saying, it can't be Randy. or It can't the, be Billy. Well, sorry, it can't be Billy. It, the movie's doing two things. The movie is constantly saying, hey, Billy's kind of sketchy. Everybody knows it. Randy knows it. Sydney kind of mm -hmm. knows it. But it can't be him, literally, because there's the killer. Like, the killer's right yeah. there. He was in jail. So, I bet watching this for the first time in theaters in 96, you were just like, well, I don't know who the fuck it is then. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure people had their own ideas. Like, oh, it yeah. does. There's like that scene in the bathroom, right? Where, where uh, Sydney is. She, like, overhears that awful conversation which is so it's so great it's like classic 90s mean girls yeah i love it um but she overhears that conversation and then she hears someone say sydney and then the killer like you see their boots come down from the bathroom stall and then the the cloak over it such a great shot mm -hmm. and then the killer chases her and you see those boots again on the sheriff so for a second because they they show yeah. you the sheriff's boots when he puts out the cigarette. When he's talking to Dewey. Mm-hmm. That's right. I noticed that. There's that insert shot of the boots. I was like, that's interesting. I was yeah, like, I know it's then... not him, but you include it in there. So someone who's privy to, or like someone who like notices it, it's like, oh, those look like the same yeah. boots. Uh, and the, the cameraman, Kenny. Kenny, yeah. Kenny is always alone when the killer kills people at the party. So theoretically, it could be Kenny too. Yeah. Right, like there's like a shot of him when Gail is talking to Sydney about, oh, maybe you, maybe you saw somebody leave with the jacket, and it kind of cuts to Kenny. And he's just like looking at her like that that monkey meme. <laughs> the monkey's like looking like shifty eyed monkey. Oh yeah, yeah. he's a little sus right now. It kind of goes to what we were talking about with the thing, right? Like anyone could be the killer. <laughs> anyone could be the thing. And I think the beautiful thing about The Thing and Scream is that if you're watching it for the first time, if you're unaware, it's like it kind of does play with with your mind a little bit. And it makes you question, all right, well, who who can it be? You know, I'm not saying it's impossible for people to not guess it, 
But I think it does a pretty good job of getting most people to buy into like the paranoia or the suspicions that these characters are feeling saying, mm-hmm. well, I don't know who it is. Like, Billy, you're acting really fucking shady, bro. But I guess, man, I just, I don't know. And it could be Randy because, yeah, Randy, you, you you're really into horror movies, man. You know a lot about them. Like, you clearly like fucking with people. So, <laughs> like, it does a good job of really playing with your expectations. And that's why at the end when it's like, oh, it's two killers. Oh, it is Billy. Like, I fucking knew it. It's not. <laughs> you, know, you know what it is? It's not that it's a twist ending. It's that it's a confirmation of what we already knew. But mm-hmm. we were but we were gaslit. The movie gaslit us. Like, <laughs> it can't be Billy. Because it's too he's obvious. right here. Huh? I feel like it's so obvious it's Billy that it can't be Billy. Yeah, well that, that that's what the movie that's what the movie does. Like, it can't be Billy. He's too obvious. He was in jail and at the very end, ha fuck you, it is Billy. Yeah, it's like I knew it, but like, did you really? Yeah, it it wasn't it's... a twist ending. It was a confirmation that the audience was feeling. I guarantee you mm-hmm. people in the audience were frustrated when they were watching the movie. Because, like, I fucking knew it was Billy. I should have trusted my gut. Mm-hmm. But but that's that's the beauty of this movie. And, it, yeah, and it, it, and it does tie nicely into, like, it does have a nice story, right? Like, it's like, Billy does it because he feels pissed off that Sydney's mom was, like, was, uh, what She's she was. She's promiscuous. Yeah, yeah. And but then you also have Stu, who's just like, I'm in it for the crazies. Like, I just love peer pressure. <laughs> and it's just like, Jesus. I'm peer pressure. I'm very sensitive. <laughs> or something. It's like, man, you guys are fucking crazy. Like, it just it feels satisfying. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I was ever cheated. The kills were cool. The comedy was fun. The characters were all really interesting. And the ten- the sus- the suspense and the intrigue had me all the way up until the end. Where I was wondering, mm-hmm. who is it? And when they showed me who it was, I was like, that's cool. That's awesome. I like that explanation. Because sometimes it is like, oh, it was all in their minds. And sometimes it's like, <laughs> well, okay. Or oh, whatever, you know? Scream reminded me of Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> you know, in the sense that it's like, all right, who's the killer? And I'm wondering who it is, the whole movie. And I couldn't guess it. And at mm-hmm. the very end, I was like, oh! I knew there was something odd about that person. Like, I, I knew something was up with him, but I didn't trust my gut feeling. And now, uh, now that you showed me this, like I, it all makes sense. And that's what Scream did for me. And I think you can go back and watch Scream. And there's so many lines in the movie that's like, oh, they were sh- this is them showing us the whole time. Like the, that scene when all the friends are together to buy the fountain. And then uh, Stu says, I didn't kill anybody. And then Billy looks at him and says, no one is saying you did. And <laughs> the way he mo- he like looks at him, glaring, is like, dude, you're being obvious. Shut up. It's so funny. It's it's so funny. The scene in, in the, the Hollywood video or the Blockbuster, the video store or whatever, when they're together, the way that they're like interrogating poor Jamie Kennedy. They're fucking with him. They're fucking with them. They're playing with their food. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's such a... It's such a good scene. And it, it becomes even better once you know the ending. It does. You know, like if you're too focused on knowing the ending, therefore movies predictable, I figured it out already. You're not seeing, you're not enjoying the ride and appreciating how well the movie is constructed. Hey Stu, didn't you used to date Casey? 
Yeah, for like two seconds. Before she dumped it for Steve. I thought you dumped it for me. I did, he's full of shit. And are the police aware that you dated the victim? What are you saying? That, that I killed her? It would certainly improve your high school kill. Stu was with me last night, okay? Yeah, it was. Ooh. Was that before or after? He sliced and diced. Fucking that case, where were you last night? Working, thank you. Oh, at the video store? I thought they fired your sorry ass. Twice. No, I didn't kill anybody. Nobody said you did. Thanks, buddy. Something that I didn't really remember was how great the score is. Like, the soundtrack is great, too. Like, the, the songs that they pull from, very 90s. I love Nick Kay's Red Right Hand. I think it's a perfect fit for this movie. But the, the score, like, the musical cues when they'll open a closet, it goes really ham, but it's so fun. The musical cues also aid in the misdirection, because, like, when Dewey asks deal for a walk it plays all those like horror movie cues to make you think oh shit it's dewey <laughs> the music wasn't something that i totally appreciated just because i was watching this for the first time mm. and just paying attention to like the performances and the story but the the music kind of had a good way of balancing like that tension and suspense but also like some of the some of the weirdness in town it's funny that you mentioned nick cave because I, I, that song perfectly fits because it's like mysterious, but there's also something kind of about it that stands out, but that's not inherently scary, if that makes sense, right? Like the vibe I got from the song was like small town weird vibes, you know? It's like this is a, a town full of weirdos and kooks. Your one microscopic cog in his catastrophic plan Designed and directed by his red right hand And everyone is kind of kooky. Like, nobody's yeah. normal, quote, air quotes. Like, the and that sheriff... makes him kind of normal, doesn't huh? it? Huh? Doesn't that make him kind of normal, that nobody's normal? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Just <laughs> in going a weird in, it's way. like, oh, this is a town of weirdos, but... <laughs> I don't know. It, the music definitely add lends to that, like that feel, that like very strange feeling. Talking about tone, the movie balances tone really well, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's funny in certain moments, but it's definitely tense in other moments, and it is like, ew, that's gross, you know, especially with the beginning. And right, I mean, when people are like, man, this movie has this is all over the place, you know, like when, when they're critiquing other films, I'm like, I don't think going all over the place is inherently bad. You just have to know how to go about those different tones. Yes. Expert. Yes. And that's why I think Wes Craven is so good because he knows how to go between horror, horror and comedy and suspense and action, right? Because this movie mm -hmm. definitely gets into like action territory, right? Um, I don't know if I would go that far. I don't know. I think the ending is just... The ending is is very violent, I yeah. would say. Okay, um, that's you know what? That's a better way to phrase it. It's not action, it's violence. Cuz this movie is yes. violent as fuck. Yes. It, it's like a but towards the end, like when the killers are getting there just desserts, it's like a cathartic violence. Mm -hmm. When I think of action, I think of like there's a fight. Mm -hmm. You know, and the fight goes on for a bit and like there's like a, an ebb and flow to the fight. Mm -hmm. Here it's like 
all right, now she's going to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's a good way of putting it. And I think the, and I think the violence stands out a lot more um, because there are no real fight scenes. There are like little kerfuffles, but they're immediately resolved. There's like chase sequences and stuff, but no, the violence, having the suspense and the violence both feel equally important. Not that mm-hmm. one is more important than the other, right? It feels like everything just complements itself really well. Nothing yes. is undercooked. It's all at the right temperature. Yes, I think that's a very good way of saying that. And holy shit, this this movie violent. Oh, it's yeah. so I violent. It's, and I was like, it starts with like the most violent thing that happens in the movie. Yes, right. Like someone gets their guts pulled out. Two you people really get their guts pulled out. Two people, and it it happens to fucking Drew Barrymore. So that sets like a huge violent tone, and then like when the movie goes on, you have these characters that are so like alarmingly indifferent to the violence that that we just saw they're like making jokes she's uh sydney's like oh man casey used to sit next to me in in home ec wrote <laughs> uh tatum says yeah well not anymore <laughs> oh my god yes <laughs> and like what? when they kill the principal all the students that's why they leave the house because they're like we gotta go see him because he's hanging from the he's hanging from a tree or something it's like oh my god Y'all yeah, are morbid as fuck. Mm-hmm. But also, I feel like that is something that, that has held up very well. Yes. Because people like to say, oh, this generation, you know, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with this generation? Every single generation does stuff like this. Kids have always been like Every that. Every single generation. I always get upset when people are like, man, kids are kids. This is not suitable for kids. And I'm like. Man, if you've seen the shit I've seen and the shit I've heard from my middle school, you'd be clutching your pearls. This is this is what we talk about. This is how we go about it. And it's and it's going to go by every generation. You did it with your parents. Our children are going to do the same. Like, we're going to look at what they're talking about. It's like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck's wrong with you? It's like, that's the times like that's how it is. I think I think Mm -hmm. that was the most that was one of the most genuine aspects of the teen teen chemistry or having of the teen cast. Was yeah, like, you know, like I was questioning, like, all right, how much of kids, how many teens actually knew all this shit about movies in this era? I was calling into question. It's like, eh, I don't know. I think that's more the scriptwriter, but the way they talked about Casey and Sydney and the way they were they reacted to the principal's murder, I was like, that feels genuine. That yeah. feels true. I immediately thought of people like, oh, this uh, the the people that would if our principal was murdered, these are the people that would go look for it. Um, Mm -hmm. the woman talking about Sydney and like how, you know, suicide is out. I was like, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard those kind of conversations. Like, I I love like the, the ending to that scene where she's like, oh, where are you getting all this from? Ricky Lake. (laughs) Cause like, dude, those, those shows are so trashy, man. Yeah. But it, it's like, but it, it feels honest. It feels genuine and it's fucked up, but it's true. Like, mm mm-hmm. Now people watch like TikToks and think they can psychoanalyze anybody. Oof. You know, it's yeah. it's the same thing. Like people will complain about TikTok now, but like, no, this has been a thing. It's like, where are you, you know, getting this... your information from? TikTok. Like it, it yeah, fits. And then 20 years ago, it was Ricky Lake. Yeah. It was the, the talk show that I, I watched. 10 years ago, it was Facebook. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like it, it makes sense. 
that yeah this this movie is violent all around and like it finds creative ways of killing people and that kind of adds to like someone like the oh shit this is kind of cool yeah i mean yes we're seeing people get murdered but it is like whoa like, there is something about the violence that's like whoa that's wild starting off with drew barrymore mm-hmm. rose mcgowan's character just getting her head getting smashed on the garage door um like even when sydney stabs billy with the umbrella yeah Ooh. oh and even when the two guys are stabbing each other and he's like i mm-hmm. think i think you cut too deep man i think i'm dying Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so it's so gross but it's so funny at the same time dude matthew lillard so good yeah My no he's God. he's amazing he's i'll say this everyone so in the cast killed it i don't think there's a everybody link. Everybody killed it. Everybody yeah. was really, really good in this movie. Yeah, like, I honestly can't even say anyone was particularly bad. I think everyone played their role, played it the way they were supposed to. And damn, it was enjoyable. And the two guys at the end, um, Billy and Stu, they were both great. Uh, Billy is um, Skeet Ulrich. Yeah, he was and, he was really good. And casting him was a really interesting choice because he reminded people a lot of Johnny Depp, which was another mm-hmm. Wes Craven film. Um, uh, he was in Nightmare on Elm he, yeah, Street. Yeah, he was in. Yeah, that's what I meant. He was in Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street. He got sucked into the bed and got turned into soup. Yeah, and it's <laughs> if you if you remember Nightmare on Elm Street, the way we're introduced to Johnny Depp's character, he's climbing up her window. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Billy, and he looks a lot like him. Like same face yeah. shape, same haircut, same outfit too, with the white tee. <laughs> so it was it was very intentional and it was but yeah he, yeah he did a great job and yeah i one thing i did want to point out with the structure of the film that i admire a lot is that opening scene with drew barrymore is 13 minutes long 13 minutes that mm-hmm. is a huge amount of time to sink into a character that is not in the rest of the film right and her death kind of kicks off the story but like Casey isn't really referenced all that often. You know, it's not like she was Sydney's sister or anything. And, you know, like her, her involvement is very loose at best. Cause yeah, she still dated her well, for a little bit. She's pretty important because she, her death sets like the tone. It, it for sets the rest well, of no, the movie. Her death is very important in the fact that it sets the tone, but like Casey as a character isn't really referenced all that much. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, like the the biggest. I mean, think about it this way: you could almost have an alternate version of the film where instead of Casey being murdered, we see Sydney's mother being murdered, and then we jump a year, a year in the future, the the first anniversary, and then the killer strikes again, or, or something. Like there could be an alternate version where that happens. But starting off with Drew Barrymore was really important because A, people didn't think she was going to die. And B, it shows the brutality that this movie is about to get into. And having that scene take place for 13 minutes? Holy shit, that's a long time. But it's so expertly done because, you know, it starts off really casually. He's talking, mm -hmm. you know, he gets a phone call. It's a casual conversation that slowly gets a lot more... a lot crazier, especially yeah, like, and- if you hang up on me again, I'm going to cut you like a fish. <laughs> and, and holy yeah. shit, Drew looks distressed. Mm-hmm. Like there's that scene where like she she's like, who's there? I'm calling the police. And right when she's reaching for the phone, the phone rings. She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like it, that scene was super stressful. 
Let's stop calling me. Let me dial nine one one. It was that scene was super fucking stressful. It I, is. It's so stressful. I. It is kind of funny though. It's. It's all of these. All of these things. I was more stressed out than laughing, but I. I was laughing mm. also in just the fact of how stressful I was feeling. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That. That is. That is something too. Because sometimes during these these scary movies, I will laugh. But it's mostly like a oh man I'm I'm so suspenseful this it, that's the only reaction I can I have is to laugh right? yeah yeah like I was just like oh my god when is this scene gonna fucking end like, yeah and, and it does it does end really badly where you're not laughing anymore like oh shit like she got killed brutally and um, mm-hmm. there's there's also the fact that she's about to watch a scary movie mm-hmm. and you know if you're in the audience you're like ooh. I'm watching a scary movie. She's about to watch a scary movie. But then yeah. years later, when this movie's at home on home video, there's that weird aspect of like, all right, I'm going to get ready to watch a movie at home. I'm doing all the things that Drew Barrymore is doing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? It's, in, in terms of meta, this movie is weird. There's a scene where Randy is watching Halloween and the events in the movie are kind of mirroring what's happening in real life. And he's he's trying to speak to Jamie Lee Curtis through the TV. He's like, I'll watch out behind you, Jamie. Watch out behind you. But like the actor's real name is Jamie. Jamie Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And and the killer is right behind him. And he's watching TV. But Gail had put a camera in the house. So there's a camera watching Jamie Kennedy that is diegetic. It's part of like the story of the movie. And you get you cut to the characters in the van watching the video feed, watching Jamie Kennedy about it's I I love how layered that goes. Yeah, and well even the camera guy's like, Look out, kid, he's right behind you. <laughs> and that's when he realizes, Oh shit, there's a delay. So so we're watching a character watching a scary movie while he's being watched by people in a van trying to warn him <laughs> that he's about to get killed. <laughs> and this whole thing is being watched by us. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. how that whole scene tripped me out. I was like, this is this is some meta shit. And then he forgets that like, oh, there's a, the cameraman, Kenny, he forgets that there's a delay. So he like opens the door and he sees that the house door is already open. He's like, oh, oh, the killer's already out. Did he kill did he kill uh, Randy? And he goes back to the 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 TV screen and he sees Ghostface like leave the room. And he's like, "Oh, where did he go?" <laughs> he gets killed right there. I think that scene's like really satisfying. It's funny and it's frustrating. I should say. Yeah, it's, it's... funny and it's frustrating because we're trying. It's just a lack of communication between everybody, and it's a lack of you know, awareness it's... too. It's a high stress situation, you know, like I've I've seen people do the same shit playing video games where it's like a high intense situation and they'll just like fuck up horrendously. <laughs> yes, that happens to me all the time in Rainbow Six Siege. I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Clearly he's on your right. I could hear him. <laughs> but it's like, nope, I'm just going to look left. I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, it's just like when you're in that like high stress situation, you don't you don't make the the good move, you know? It's it's funny that you mentioned that. It's funny. Because 
someone else who doesn't make a good move is Sydney in her first encounter with Ghostface. Ghostface asks her, why don't you like scary movies? And she's like, oh, because they're all predictable, you know? Like, obviously, she should be going through the front door, but she goes up the stairs. What the fuck does Sydney do? Well, she up- tries to go through the front door, but the, the deadbolt on the door is still on it. So when she tries to open it, she she can't open it and she can't get it off in time. So but that, but she that's, goes up the stairs. But that's what I think is so funny. People think, mm-hmm. oh, well, if I was in the movie, I'd be I'd act very differently. It's like chances are you wouldn't. And chances are, if you did, something would prevent you from getting out like the deadbolt, you mm-hmm. know? We lock our doors, maybe, and maybe you can't you can't unlock it fast enough, right? Yeah, people dude, always there's... try to people try to always act like they would be calm, cool, and collected if they were in a horror movie scenario. Let me tell you, they're barely you, calm, cool, and collected in real life. <laughs> yes, fuck no, you would not be cool, calm, and collected. Fuck no, you wouldn't be. <laughs> I, do you know how many people I see freak out when they drive on the freeway? Yeah, <laughs> and that's the freeway. Mm-hmm. So no, I I thought that scene was so funny though because she's like, yeah, well she should obviously go through the front door. It's like, yeah, she should, but maybe she can't because of guess what, the deadbolt. That's funny. That was, it, it, they do that kind of throughout the movie. They'll like say what's about to happen and then it'll happen, right? Like, I'll be right back. You can never say be right back because you won't. You'll be dead. And then uh, Stu kind of jokes around, says, I'll be right back. <laughs> and then they're watching, Gail and Kenny are watching this this conversation. They're like, oh, this is boring. And then David Arquette, uh, Dewey shows up and he's like, all right, let's go uh, check out this car. By your, just you, Gail, me and you, go check out this car when a murderer is out on the loose. You're not scared, are you? <laughs> and, then she, and then she tells Kenny, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> They do it once once more at the end, they do it. And I think it's really funny. Uh, Gail says when she has the gun, but she doesn't know the safety's on. She's like, here's a better ending to your movie. The reporter who was left for dead finds the gun and shoots the bad guy. And Nev Campbell's like, I like that ending. And then the, the safety's on, so she doesn't kill him. And then he kind of like kicks her. And then he leaves her for dead again. Mm-hmm. And she ends up shooting him because of that. <laughs> That's how this movie, this movie is so clever. Why is everyone making the stupid decisions? If Billy really, if really, if Billy was as smart as he thinks he was, if he knew all the rules about horror films, which he's clearly very aware of, he would have shot Gale, but he doesn't. I think this movie is like, I think Sydney's missing, I guess, and he's distracted. The theme of this movie is you would never act the way you say you would if you were in this scenario. I think that's the theme. Nobody would act this, no you're not gonna act the way you think you are. It's yeah. it's it's brilliant. Houston, we we have a problem here. What? The gun, man, the gun. I put it right there. It's not there. Where the fuck is it? Right here, asshole. Man, I thought she was dead. She lived dead, man. Still does. I've got an ending for you. The reporter left for dead in the news van comes to stumbles on you two dipshits finds the gun foils your plan and saves the day. I like that ending. I know something you don't. Okay. Ah! 
works better without the safety on. This is Gail Weather signing off. Baby, you're gonna love this. There's something I wanted to touch on. You know, we, we were talking about how the beginning of the film is 13 minutes long, which is a long time to begin with your opening scene of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Like for opening scene, 13 minutes long with a character who's not really going to be as relevant for the rest of the movie. Like it's kind of a big deal. That's kind of a big, and it's 13 minutes of high suspense. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very stressful. The final act of this movie taking place in Stu's house is 40 minutes long. We're in this house for 40 fucking minutes. And that's where the majority of the deaths happen, too. This is where the majority of the movie happens. And I loved how it's paced. I love the tone. I love how everything just like, okay, so we were being referential before. Now we're going to really like break all of these horror things down, right? Like Randy mm-hmm. points out all the rules, right? He's like, you never have sex. What do we see happen? Sydney Sydney sleeps with Billy. We mm-hmm. hear all this. I'll be right back. You know, how many people die? They're all drinking at they're, the party, too. They're all drinking. Rose McGowan dies when she goes, gets a beer. It, it, that final act is so good. So good. It's so good. And I love how the movie Halloween is playing, which I believe was Casey's favorite horror movie when Ghostface asks her. It's playing throughout the entire act yes and the musical cues from halloween are part of screen Mm -hmm. like they'll hear like the and then they're like as they like look check a corner or something you know it's it's so good no no i think it's beautiful because this this movie screen was written by someone who loves halloween so the entire screen movie is kind of like an ode to halloween like the horror films that came before right yeah, Halloween, Nightmare Before, Nightmare Before Christmas, Nightmare on Elm Street, Prom Night, like all of those movies that the movie references explicitly are also referenced in the story itself. Yes. So here's so it's kind of like Halloween and those other horror films influenced Scream, but here you have a very clear, direct influence of Halloween in the film because they're using the soundtrack. They're using the actual scenes and playing off of it, right? Like when Randy's watching, mm-hmm. when Randy's watching uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, he's like, hey, Jamie, Jamie, right? With the musical mm-hmm. cues, like you just mentioned, Halloween is directly tied to the final act of the film. And I just think that's brilliant. It's like you're putting your, you're putting your influences on screen, but you're not just doing it very cheaply. They're actually kind of, they're, they're part of the story. Yeah. It's not trying to to like just rip off all these horror movies and just be like really cheeky. It's also kind of in conversation with them too. Yes. That's what I, it's in conversation with it. And it creates the link between what scary movie or what Scream is trying to do, which is where we're commenting on horror tropes, the horror genre and applying it to modern audiences. I love that. I think that's so fucking cool. And that whole ending is a mind trip. Because, the yeah, you're right. Halloween's playing in the background. 
they're clearly referencing it they're they're talking about it the movie is in conversation especially when like they're using the musical cues like someone opens the someone opens a door and like from halloween plays in it's awesome it's so cool it's so good and i love how she's hiding in the closet which was where jamie lee curtis was hiding in the movie Mm -hmm. but then she comes in bashing through with the with the with the ghost face mask and everything why was she wearing the ghost face mask though probably throw them off Eh. it's it's kind of funny it it is i don't i don't know why (laughs) like is it because it's dark and she can blend into the closet better i don't know it's just a a silly thing i guess another thing that (laughs) another thing i like is one of the references that they one of the tropes that they reference is uh having sex Mm -hmm. and how you know as an audience we're like oh you shouldn't have sex like the movie very clearly states this and then sydney sleeps with billy right and we and the audience Mm -hmm. know that there's something wrong there's something off with billy we're like "Ah." like it's not her sleeping with billy for me wasn't like a celebratory thing it was like a caution like oh no don't do this girl like don't 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 do it not with him like aside from him like knowing that he's the killer it's just the the things that he says are just kind of he puts off a bad vibe the whole film this is a bad first boyfriend you know (laughs) this is not a great dude right he's an yeah. idiot he, even if he wasn't a killer he's still really stupid remember that scene and, where he's like it's been a year you need to get over your mom's death yeah like i got over my mom leaving my dad like i got over it no why can't you get over your mom being dead it, it, and even sydney's like they're very different yeah it's it's so he's such a bad even if he wasn't the killer he's a bad guy he he is he's if he wasn't the killer he's an idiot he's a dumbass and he's a bad dude but he is makes him even worse so when we see her sleeping with billy it's like ah, oh, no like it, it wasn't like yes they're finally doing it it's like oh girl what are you doing and this is the moment where it's like oh you know this is not it's her sleeping with billy kind of foreshadows that something potentially bad can happen to her right because you're not supposed mm-hmm. to have sex in horror films but what i love is that the movie's like right after they sleep that's when she starts asking them questions it's almost like mm-hmm. that post nut clarity came in for her <laughs> and she's like <laughs> you went to jail what you who'd you call you know you know and like and the thing is i wasn't even thinking about that but that post nut clarity came in and she's like let me ask the real questions it's almost like <laughs> sex like made her smarter <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. Who'd you call? What? Uh, Well, I don't know. When you're arrested, you're allowed one phone call. So I was just curious. Who'd you call? Called my dad. No, um, Sheriff Burke called your dad. I saw him. Yeah. But when I called, I didn't get an answer. Hmm. You don't still think it was me, do you? No. No. I was just thinking if it were you, it'd be a very clever way to throw me off track. 
you know, using your one phone call to call me so that I wouldn't think it was you. That's all. Really? <laughs> what do I have to do to prove to you that I'm not a killer? Yes, I think so. I I think <laughs> Sydney's going through like a a a block because I think deep down she knows that her mother was like very promiscuous. You know, she liked to sleep with with people, and she died. Mm-hmm. So I think somewhere in her in her head, maybe she thinks that it's because she had sex with people. That's why she dies. Mm-hmm. That's why she died. That's what took my mom away, and she misses her mom. And she loves her mom, and she's not looking at who she was, and maybe she blame she she feels, you know, it's like a like a block there. Um, well, and I think the, that's and that's that's a very good point because I want to add to that. They explicitly say over and over again that she was raped and murdered, right? She mm-hmm. was raped and murdered, so that already is putting a huge like a fear of intimacy, right? intimacy that could go very badly and like, that, i don't I mean, think that... you can even say that on tv anymore like that I, I i think that word itself is like really inciting so i think people on tv now will say like sexual assault I yes guess. but back then I mean, this it, was it, the 90s it, yeah i mean i don't know if the 90s if they were doing that like you could say rape on 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 the news coverage maybe you couldn't i'm not i'm not too sure but the film goes out of its way to kind of sell the fact that this is what happened to her mother She's very clearly affected by it, and she's mm-hmm. not, you know, she she likes Billy, but she doesn't feel comfortable opening up like that. Right. And then the moment she does, it's kind of like, hold on, let, let me just let me just double check something real quick, <laughs> you know. And I, I was laughing. All she needed in her hand was a cigarette, just to be like, so let's just go over this one more time before I <laughs> I really just you know, take your name off the list. And I mm-hmm. I love that. I love that play on that trope. Yeah. You better not have sex. It's like, no, according to scary movie or according to scream, you better have sex. Yeah. There's, there's also like, I, I believe it was intentional because I watched the commentary on this, the scene when she, when Billy gets back up after being stabbed, he's trying to, to like choke her and like, uh, say hello to your mother for me or something. Cause he's Mm -hmm. about to kill her. She gets him off of of her by sticking her finger into the stab wound Mm -hmm. so it's a kind of like a penetrative act Mm -hmm. but this time it's it's sydney doing it against billy Mm -hmm. so i think it kind of like flips that whole like come on let me smash let me smash let me smash let me you know it, it kind of flips it and they did say that that was the intention on the commentary so it's like oh i interpreted that correctly I went to film school. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't interpret that at all. I was like, "Oh, hey, that's a that's a pretty good way of getting someone. Like, if they got a bullet, mm-hmm. like that's what Inglorious Bastards taught me. You know, if they got mm-hmm. a bullet, one, put your finger in there. That'll get them to talk. And that with this movie, it's like, oh yes. But that's a little detail that makes a lot of sense, and it shows you that the team behind this movie were very intentional in their decisions, and they were like, let's make this deeper than what most other movies were at this time because slasher films weren't popular when the screen mm-hmm. was made 
they had gone downhill. I mean, you had how many sequels to direct to DVD sequel or direct to VHS sequels? How many horror films were off? Like horror films were not thriving for a lot of no. reasons. But here you had Wes Craven, uh, and and the cast and and uh, what's his name, Kevin Williamson. Kevin very, Williamson, yeah, being very intentional, and it's like. Okay, we're gonna keep you guessing, but there's like a lot of things happening underneath all of this. You know, you have the mm-hmm. you have sex, you have um, the use of violence on film and TV, and we're we're kind of in dialogue with them, and we're talking about kind of teen cultures, and it's 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 really cool stuff. Again, it's not Shakespearean, but it's a lot more. It's done with a lot more finesse than other films had done it at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there was something very timely about it's the, the whole like how people will see this this thing that's taking off in pop culture and, and say like, oh, this is what's wrong with our generation. This is what's wrong with our kids. There's like a reference. It's really funny that you hear the newspapers say that, oh, there's a there's rumors that the, the killers are a part of the occult which is part of that whole like satanic panic thing that was going on in the 90s and is now going on today. The whole thing about violent movies making people violent. Mm. The movies, I think the characters, Stu says, it's the movies don't make killers violent. It makes killers more creative. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's such a, I feel like the story parts hold up very well. More more so than other movies, more yes. so than other movies that we've covered on the podcast. Like, I feel like the things that didn't hold up are, are, are kind of small, you know? Yeah. There's they're, also they're like nitpicks a, at that point, honestly. They're nitpicks. Like, I, like am, a, I, am I going to give a, a big hoot about Rose McGowan boobs showing? Not too much, you know? Um, or what, what side the garage is facing or really uh, Henry Winkler's death? Like, eh, those are small things but as a whole there's so much thought put into the script that i'm like i love all of this Mm -hmm. do you want to transition yeah we could talk about i mean damn we we went into this movie we did i feel like there's so much more that we can talk about too we've kind of touched on the surface of some of these things right like i'm sure there's a lot more there's a lot more readings on just kind of like teen culture in the 90s um violence i mean we're, we're gonna get into the violence part because there is some disturbing stuff that came after this film um oh yes yes unfortunately and okay. um yeah no this this movie's great it's so much fun and there's we're, we're talking about the story but like there's so many references in scream to like a bunch of other stuff like ricky lake there's references to like Psycho, to The Exorcist, Basic Instinct, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween 2, Halloween the franchise, Friday the 13th, uh, Evil Dead. The Fo- yeah, there's even that like Wes Carpenter line. Sounds like a bad Wes Carpenter movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wait, hold on, what? They reference uh, Carrie with like the pig blood or the, no, the, the corn syrup, um, the bad seed. Silence of the Lambs, um, Clueless. It's just all, oh, Leatherface with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So there's a lot of cool references in there. <laughs> yeah. there's. Did you catch the Wes Craven cameo? Yes, I did. I did with the, it's really uh, funny. With the janitor. Yeah, it's, it's so funny because his name is Fred, right? He's wearing Freddy Krueger's outfit. It's such a very brief shot. And 
you can tell there's like a little bit of like an adversarial serial relationship with the janitor and the principal. Yes. <laughs> he's like, what's what's happening out here? And he just like looks up to him like, huh? <laughs> it's so funny. It's not you. And they, I think he calls him an asshole or something or a prick. <laughs> That's funny. It's No, it, it's great uh, all around. Damn little shits. What'd you call me? Not your friend. Hello, everybody. This is Jorge from the future editing this episode. And after talking with Austin, we decided to make this a two-parter. We had a lot to talk about when it came to Scream. This was a long episode and we didn't really feel like cutting a lot out. So we decided, you know what, let's just make it a two-parter. One part will be our thoughts on the film and the second part we get into the making of, which there is a lot to get into with the making of this film as to like the writing process, picking the director because... Wes said no multiple times, the actual filming and shooting of it, running into problems with the the county that they were looking to film in, the high school, the editing process, how they were going to get an NC-17 for a minute, and also the reception of the film, including how some people received the film and what it inspired them, quote unquote, to do afterwards. Um, Lots to talk about. It's a great episode. And it's going to come out pretty soon. But I also want to let you know that we have a Patreon that's live now. We have exclusive stuff on there that you can't get anywhere else. Austin and I talk about Avatar The Way of Water. We talk about Marvel. We talk about HBO, The Last of Us. We are going to have a review for John Wick 4 pretty soon. And we're also going to be having some fun, cool shows on there as well. Some like fun games. Um, So be a part of it. And If you just can't support us financially right now, that's totally cool. These retro episodes will still be free wherever you get your podcast, so don't even worry about it. So, thank you for listening, and I'll see you in the next one.